Welcome back, OTRs. Today's episode, 10 Success Habits for Young Veterinarians, um, is part two of our habits episode. And what I'm going to talk about today is some of the habits that I share with students that ride along with me. When they ask, um, you know, what have you done or what's helped you through your career, um, these habits are things that I've done or recommended to them to help improve the type of medicine that they're going to practice. In the second half of this episode, just going to talk a little bit about how you can succeed with habits, how you can have some long-term success with them, how you can improve your career satisfaction with them, and a couple strategies to do that. So stay tuned, OTOers, for a really special episode. So the real challenge is, how do veterinarians like us, who don't have the time, resources, or financial backing of a multi-million dollar company, who are faced with irregular work schedules, on-calls, and emergencies, how can we facilitate our own personal and professional growth so we can continue to offer superior service to our clients while still remaining competitive in today's market? That is the challenge, and this podcast will provide you the roadmap to its solution. I'm your host, Dr. Eric, and welcome to Operators to Owners. Welcome back, OTRs. I'd like to just make a small announcement before I begin with this podcast, and that's that we're not going to have a podcast next week. I'm taking a short two-week break here for the holidays, spend a little bit of time with my family, um, and then kind of work around the new heavier holiday schedule as we move things off of Christmas and New Year's. So I'll be back in two weeks um, in the first full week of January, and we'll be bringing you a new segment in the first full week of January called Vet You, which is going to focus on exposing you to research and uh, other key topics that will hopefully accelerate uh, and and educate your um, career. So with that said, I'd like to roll right into the 10 success habits for young veterinarians. And as James Clear says, there is a version of every habit that can bring you joy and satisfaction. And it's with this in mind, I'd like to discuss with you the 10 habits that I think young veterinarians can select from that they could use to significantly accelerate their professional development and hopefully help them find better career satisfaction. These are variations on things that I've suggested to people or different clients. These are variations on things I've implemented myself and just some thoughts that I've had that I think can improve things for young veterinarians that might be struggling to find a good habit that they could implement in 2020. So with that said, the first habit that I encourage for young veterinarians is reviewing each case. And what I mean is take each individual case Bring it back in your truck, so just you personally in your truck thinking about it. And think over the differentials you went over. Think over the signalment, your treatment plan, how you presented that case and its treatment plan to the producer. Think all those things over and review your mental approach to the case. If questions came up while you were doing the case, look those questions up. Get some answers, get some education one-on-one with yourself. I'd encourage you to also start a journal um, to record key points and write down kind of what you saw, maybe how you interpreted it or why you treated it in a specific way. For me personally, I actually started a DA log journal in my first um, year of practice that listed basic signalment, DA size, surgical difficulty, any interoperative challenges that I had. 
And this journal kind of helped me coalesce my thoughts into one single space about how that case went overall. You know, what I did, how I reacted, and what I would consider doing differently the next time. The simple act of writing this down really helped me to kind of get a better grasp on my surgery and improve my overall efficiency. This helped me coalesce my thoughts in one space about how the case went, what I did, what I would consider doing differently next time. The act of writing something down really helps us truly grasp it. Researchers have found that oftentimes you really can't grasp a difficult topic until you can write it down or teach it to somebody. So by journaling these surgical cases, I feel I was really able to increase my efficiency as well as improve my surgical outcomes. The second habit that I think would really improve a young veterinarian's career and professional development would be learn one new thing every day. And for those of you who have listened to me before, this is a common topic that I bring up. But some days, a client or a peer is going to teach you something. But maybe other days you're going to have to actually seek out that skill. So each day, you need to grab a journal article, stop by the Hordes Dairyman website, or find some kind of knowledge source that you can learn from. One great way to start this habit um, is in your next downtime or that slow period um, when you're between calls or just don't have anything in the afternoon, sit down at your desk and page through hordes. Rip out the articles that you find interesting. So that way when you have a day where you're, you're not finding any topic or you haven't learned anything, you can still just grab one of those articles you collected before, read it, and kind of consume that knowledge. But learning something new every single day means you're expanding yourself, you're improving yourself, you're developing your career. So again, a really good habit to have for long-term success. One piece of knowledge per day, if you're working you know, 250 days out of the year, you've learned 250 new things every single year. So that's really helping your career keep moving forward. So that's the second habit for you guys. The third habit I have is do one more thing every day. And this is kind of coming from my calendar and my quotes that I keep in my calendar. So you're going to recognize that from that uh, quote section that I put up um, in the operator's owner's forum. But the only way you expand your comfort zone, grow your practice, or just develop professionally is doing more than you what you did yesterday. You got to kind of think of it like weightlifting. If you curled five pounds for 50 times a week forever, you're not going to see the same results as if you had done that same event, curled five time, five pounds 50 times a week, but then you went up by one pound each week. So your brain and your business respond in the same way as your muscles would. And Tony Robbins really likes to say, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always gotten. So push yourself to make one more call. Push yourself to run one more report, walk one more pen, talk to one more employee every single day at your operations. Do that one extra rep that improves you and sets you apart from your peers and the competition that you may have. My fourth habit is reach out and follow up on one case per day. You know, ideally we would follow up on every case that we see, kind of like small animal veterinarians do very often. But the hectic nature of practice can often prevent this. So try to follow up on one case or two cases per day. Um, especially ones that were interesting to you or maybe challenging so that you can learn how your treatment plan fared. Um, and you also can do this for clients that you really want to, to value add to or make them feel valued. 
Um, this will help develop your prognostic skills as well as provide you some valuable feedback on your treatment techniques and their successes or failures. A time-saving pro tip for this habit is you can just text your client if you don't have enough time for a full phone call. Um, you can even save some cookie-cutter messages um, on the Note app on your phone and just paste them in quickly if you find yourself struggling to get this habit started. Um, learning this way, learning this active way, getting feedback on your treatment results um, will really accelerate your growth as well as provide you um, some powerful points um, on your overall treatment radar. A nice point that you can do with this too is leveraging, you know, everyone always wants to know what's the prognosis. And that's a very difficult thing for a young veterinarian to do. So by doing this, by reaching out, you get an idea of how those animals are doing and it gives you a better idea of what the actual prognosis is given your treatment planning, your treatment skills. So try that as one of your habits if you're a young veterinarian. My fifth habit, I'm going to re-deliver this again, but I'm going to say seek to over-deliver. Again, we are a service-based industry. That means that client satisfaction comes in as number one, two, and three in the most important outcomes from any case or service. In this competitive marketplace that we are in, that we compete in day in and day out, we would prefer not to compete against other clinics and our peers, but we need to remember that ultimately we are salesmen and women. We may not always be selling physical products, but what we are selling is our unbiased third-party veterinary ideas. What this means is that we need to compete with all the biased people and other unbiased parties that want our clients' attention. So by over-delivering, what we're able to do is place ourselves more actively in our client's line of sight, as well as increase the perception of our overall value. Over-delivering today means that you may be in a place to create real positive change or have an impact with a client tomorrow. If you want more specific tips on how to over-deliver, head over to the OTO blog at otovets.com forward slash blog and click on the donut article. It's about the second or third blog article I wrote. There's some great ideas there for how you can over-deliver with clients and provide additional value. The sixth habit that I've got for you guys is recenter during the day. Burnout is the number one reason I see veterinarians falling out of our field. Too much work, too much stress, too much demand without adequate downtime kills our profession um, and kills our concentration. In fact, veterinarians are two and a half times as likely to take their own lives. So we need to actively mitigate this risk, and we can begin to do that by carving time out for ourselves during the day. Making sure we take scheduled breaks, listen to music, read, take a nap, but take the break. I don't care what you do, but just take, break up the day. Don't be working continuously through if it's possible. If you truly feel you cannot take a break, then what you need to do is look into delegating more tasks or rescheduling your day. The overall importance of breaks during the day can, can really not be overstated. Breaks that involve some kind of movement have been proven to reduce overall chronic disease, you know, heart disease, diabetes, depression, obesity. Breaks that involve a break for your mind is a much-needed mental respite, helping you actually avoid the perils of decision fatigue. Now, I've told you guys this study before, and it's a famous study, but it's a study about judges that went without a break throughout the day, so usually they would have a morning and afternoon break. 
But if they went through the day without a break because of caseload or whatever have you, by the end of the day, when they were judging parolees on whether they get out of jail or be remain in jail, the parolees who came to them at the end of the day had almost a 0% chance of being released versus the parolees who came after a break or early in the morning who had a 65% chance of receiving parole. So this complete drop in parole rate granted to inmates because of how the day progressed meant that these judges were really suffering from significant decision fatigue because they didn't get their break. So we have to be cognizant of this and the importance of it, whether we're owners or associates, in making room for this during our day. So personally, I like to take about 15 minutes in the middle of my day. Um, some Maybe some people like to say it's a lunch break, but I like to take it you know somewhere between maybe 11 and 2 o'clock. And that's 15 minutes for myself, whether that's sometimes I need to be in the vehicle driving, so I just take 15 minutes to listen to something that I want to listen to or enjoy something I want to enjoy. Or maybe it's pulling over to the side of the road for 15 minutes. So personally, I like to listen to Comedy Central Radio. I have um, satellite radio because of the reception we have in our area. That's a mental respite for me. I like to just have a little bit of comedy. Sometimes I'll pull up my phone and read articles on um, theladders.com. Or even I've taken a nap before. Now, the nap is a relatively new introduction. Um, I kind of started trying it after I read some really good research um, that showed that a 15 to 18 minute nap cycle, so no longer than 18 minutes, um, but between that 15 and 18 minutes, helps you actually get pretty significant refreshment without actually entering that REM sleep cycle. So this short nap will actually cause your brain to move from the beta brain waves that are basically responsible for your day-to-day operation and keep you going. It'll move you back into from those to these alpha brain waves. And the alpha brain wavelength is associated with elevated cognition and creativity. So it's kind of really reminiscent of how many creatives will do a lot of their best work in the early morning, right when they're coming out of that alpha wavelength um, thinking pattern. So what I'm seeking to do with this nap is not take a break from the day. It's to rest, to recharge, and leverage that alpha brainwave pattern to kind of get a second wind prior to afternoon consulting or creation, um, things like that. And I really plan to try and experiment with this particular technique a little bit more in 2020 and see how um, work during my personal days and my work days improves with it. So you might hear a little bit about it a little bit later this year as I've experimented and gotten more results from it. So the seventh habit that I have for you is the supersize me habit. Now this is a habit I learned from the good old golden arches. McDonald's brought on the, do you want fries with that marketing campaign to the world? And what many people don't realize is that this 1980s campaign is what's called in the marketing world, a basic upsell. It's been shown that innocuous questions like this can exponentially increase sales that you make when you ask them. So how can we use this in veterinary medicine? And well, I don't recommend using it to increase sales. Do I want to sell more products? Yes. Would I like to, would it be great for my bottom line? Yes, certainly. But my overall goal is to increase my client's compliance with my treatment recommendations and reduce their vet expenditures. So how do I utilize this data? How do I use this marketing technique? Well, I use it 
to make sure my clients always have drugs or products on hand that they need to follow my SLPs. So by selling them the products they actually need, I ensure they treat their animals adequately and appropriately. Secondly, um, this question can be a great way, this, you know, do you want fries with that kind of, kind of question can be a great way to drive additional consulting. So many times during my herd checks, topics kind of sneak through the cracks while we're talking, you know, while they're working the list, writing down um, preg check results or looking at a sick cow. But then when I get back to my truck, I have some really good side conversations with them. If I just ask them, is there anything else you're concerned about? Is there anything questions you have? So by opening the door for my client to interject their concerns when I'm cleaning up at my truck, I can make sure that they feel like they've been listened to and are cared about. And this kind of goes hand in hand with my recommendation to over-deliver. And provide your clients more value all the time. So you can use a supersize me mentality you know, to make sure they get the drugs they need, but also use it to make sure they get the services and the questions answered that they need. So again, we're providing value continuously so that when things come up later, they're going to go, oh, you know, Dr. Eric, he, 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 had his, he has some input on that. I'm sure he does. Let me give, contact him instead of some third-party biased um, consultant that might sway them in an inappropriate direction. My eighth habit that I've got for you guys today is clean your workspace. And (laughs) anyone who's ridden with me, I'm sure some students that are listening that have ridden with me knows that this is a really hard one for me. Um, My desk at home and at work are always continuous chores for me to keep clean. And I'm going to be honest with you, I often fail at this. This is a really hard one for me. Um, And don't even get me started on my truck. Uh, (laughs) But a dirty workplace or a dirty workspace means that any client or visitor is going to have a poor first impression, you know, of the messy, disorganized vet coming their way. And this means that you've already lost trust before you even have done anything or even pulled in the driveway. So you haven't even looked at their animal yet and you're already losing their confidence. Um, The second thing about this is a cluttered work area triggers your brain to the many things that you need to do. So it's getting all those reminders that you, and you've kind of instilled in yourself, oh, I need to do this or I need to do that. Or you see this sheet of paper and it's like, oh, I need to do that ad or I need to do this paperwork. And what it's doing is your brain is now wasting its massive computing power on remembering different things you need to do and processing those tasks instead of devoting those resources or that cognitive power to your current task. And in my experience, the best way to begin to get a handle on this is to have a place for all the paper, all the clothing, all the drugs, everything that occupies that area, have a devoted place for each of them. The second thing I highly recommend is install a garbage with an easy reach so you can dispose of anything when you're done. You know, trash, sheets of paper, research, anything that you're done with, get rid of it and get it out of your way so you can keep things clean. The last tip I have for this habit of cleaning your workspace is devote two to three minutes, two to three minutes, that's all I'm asking for, every single day just to cleaning a section of your work or personal space, just so you don't get behind. Keep it clean, pick up some sheets of paper, throw some away, file, organize, take the clothes, take the lunch refuse, take all that stuff out of your truck, try and keep things clean. Two to three minutes a day, you'll be surprised how far ahead you can get if you just do that every single day. My ninth habit for success for young veterinarians is the two-minute rule. And you guys have heard this before um, when I was talking about David Allen's book. 
about getting things done. But this two-minute rule is pretty simple. And it's a very simple habit. And it's going to keep you on top of things. So any time that you get a task, a call, an email, some kind of interaction, or um, at a point that's going to require action, but it takes less than two minutes to complete that task or, or that communication, do it right now. And again, this is straight out of David Allen's book of getting things done. If you don't do that task right now, then it becomes yet another thing on your to-do list. Um, And that results in longer lists that are more overwhelming and less likely to get done. And this habit goes hand-in-hand with a clean workspace one from number eight. So as your to-do list gets longer, you're wasting more and more brain power on it, trying to remember everything rather than actively thinking. So if it takes less than two minutes, just do it right now. That's all. That's everything for habit number nine. Habit number 10, and you guys have probably seen this on Monday, but I've got a really nice little post there on my three habits that have changed my life. Habit number 10 is one of them, and that's unplug for greater than one hour a day. And that's absolutely right. Step away from your phone. Um, You solo practitioners might need to hand your phone to your spouse, but for one hour a day, I want you to step away from your phone. You know, personally on nights that I'm not on call, I try to plug my phone into a charger when I get home and leave it there at least until the end of supper. doesn't always happen, and I really do struggle with this because, you know, modern technology and kind of the addiction to your cell phone, but trying to plug it in on a charger seems to be able to get me further away from it than if I just set it somewhere because then I'm going to go back and get it. This separation from the phone I think is critical because our phones are our work. Um, I think there's a really good post very recently within the last couple of weeks here on the vet truck Facebook group that listed the advantages of having a separate work versus personal phone. And I like to think of it a little bit as a separation of church and state, but ultimately, um, we, if we don't provide the separation, we increase the risk of burning out just because of the 24, 24, seven access from our clients. So separating from your phone also has been shown to have huge implications on improved personal satisfaction and family life. Given the modern day addictions we see towards digital content consumption, whether it's Facebook, Reddit, um, ads, the gambling type games that you get on there, anything like that, um, it's probably a good habit for anyone to try and reduce their overall exposure to this type of technology. So those are my 10 habits to facilitate success and hopefully increase career satisfaction for young vets. And by no means is this a comprehensive list, but it's meant to give young veterinary students and practitioners a place to start when they're looking for new habits um, to start in their career, especially in 2020, um, when you're setting your goals or looking forward to what you could do. I think these are some good places for you guys to start if you're looking for something. So... Let's say that you take James Clear up on his examples that I had in part one um, of the impact of habits on medicine. Or maybe you take me up on some of these young veterinarian habit suggestions. What do you do now? How do you get these habits to extend beyond a week of use? Well, there are many factors that will play into the long-term success of your habits. Four of the most influential factors towards success or the success you will have include your social environment, your ability to adopt this 
skill of habit stacking, which I'll define later, the ability that you have to reduce response friction and your ability to reduce habit expectations. And if you let me break these down a little bit for you, I'll give you some really great pointers on how to succeed with your new habits. So let's start with your social environment. So our social environment plays a huge role in how well we are able to extend our habits, how successful we're going to be, how long we're going to be able to be successful with them. If we have lazy, undriven peers around us, we're unlikely to be able to succeed in the long term. And this is an exact conversation I had one day with a veterinary student. You know, the student asked me, can you follow your passion at a practice that might not align with it? And this is a really difficult question to answer, and it had me really thinking. Um, Some cultures and clinics are this, you know, quote-unquote unbreakable. And decisions in those cultures or in those clinics kind of exist in a vacuum where maybe you can't succeed, maybe you can't impact that because you have a single person or a, a group of people who are unflexible. But given this, and the more thought I gave it, I was reminded of Jim Rohn's famous line, we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. So maybe if your practice culture is not healthy or is unmotivated or you're just struggling to move things forward, maybe you go outside of that and you find and follow success habits, but you surround yourself with other similarly motivated individuals. So what I mean by this or how can you do this is you do this by joining a group of similarly motivated individuals. So whether that's, you know, the operators to owners Facebook community. Really love the group we've got there. Um, Maybe you join a mastermind. You know, we're going to be offering those coming in 2020 as well, which is just a series of people, again, similar goals, similar ideals, looking for similar guidance to work together. Maybe you listen to some good podcasts from other podcasters out there. Maybe you join the AVP's listserv. Maybe you join the Vet Truck Forum. Um, Maybe you find an external mentor or seek out somebody maybe in your local chamber of commerce even um, for business advice. But somewhere you need to find people that are similarly motivated. And, you know, know, maybe your motivations don't match up with exactly what my vision is. But maybe you find somebody, um, you know, in a chapter uh, at ABP through their mentorship service. But what you need to do is if your practice social environment is your main problem point, you need to shift who you interact with day to day to improve your social environment so those habits can actually succeed. So if your clinic doesn't suffer from these issues, then you can look to foster or partner with your coworkers to create this environment that facilitates good habit formation. If you don't have that, then just reach outside your current social environment and find a new group to work with and interact with. That doesn't mean you have to change your current work environment, but maybe you just go outside of it. So this process of kind of creating partnerships will also help you find some accountability and help you follow through with your habits. The next skill for long-term habit success is habit stacking. And this has really increased my long-term habit success, uh, by just simply bringing habits together. So habit stacking basically responds um, to how you pair one habit with another. So I've used this technique to help me clean my truck better actually on a regular basis. Um, 
this has been something that I've always struggled with, keeping my truck clean. I kind of mentioned that before. Um, I never seemed to really make some headway. I'd get it clean, and then it'd be a disaster a week later. But habit stacking um, the truck has actually worked pretty well. So I've, I've taken the time when I restock my truck. So when I put new drugs on, I've habit stacked that with the um, habit of emptying the garbage and removing the extra clothes from the cab of my truck to keep it clean. So that's to say whenever I need new drugs, products, disposables, or anything like that, I then pair that activity with the habit of cleaning my truck. And this habit stacking technique has worked much better than any of my prior attempts, including scheduling a day to clean or waiting until my truck is dirty to clean. Um, In fact, for the first time in years, I actually can have a passenger in my truck without having to clean off the passenger seat first. So I'm actually thinking I've been pretty successful using habit stacking um, in this context. But the power of habit stacking is its ability to leverage the use of one or more Um, common or low friction habits to kind of work as an initiator for a second, maybe harder or higher friction habit. And this technique works really well when you're seeking to adopt new habits and it can really facilitate their use by basically just becoming a cue for the new habit. So you do this old habit and now this new habit starts. And the use of these simple habits, these simple cues to facilitate another habit can really add a ton of power and increase your overall habit success in the long term. The third habit success increaser or facilitator is the reduction of response friction. So how do we reduce the friction of actually getting the action done? So some of the most successful habit-forming products in history have simply reduced the overall friction that you incur in your life. So for example, just think about this. Email reduced the friction of having to have paper, an envelope, and a stamp to correspond with somebody. Similarly, similarly, Uber reduced the friction of having to flag down a taxi and pay in the taxi, and instead they packaged it all in the one easy-to-use app, brings the taxi to you, pays automatically, and you're all said and done. Again, reducing friction is something that all humans are going to seek out. So if you can do that with your habits, you'll be more successful. So if you want your habits to succeed, then adopt things that are easy, make it easier to do. So if you want to work out, pack your clothes the night before and place them in your vehicle. If you want to consult on more dairies, have them send you a backup every week. You'd be amazed. You know, I, that really facilitated my consulting portfolio is just actually having access to the data when I'm actually driven to work on it. Now I have the data when I want it. Or commit to some kind of a consulting calendar with them. So now you have that time commitment as well to them. Or you have guaranteed them that they get some kind of output. But whatever you do, do everything you can to negate any potential excuses your brain might come up with when you want to do a habit. Another kind of powerful friction reduction technique um, that I want you guys to know about is called environmental priming. And this kind of involves setting up your current environment so you can have a better chance at actually completing that habit. So kind of let me return to my truck example. I wanted to keep my truck cleaner. So I found that I had a lot of garbage in the front and back of my truck. So the solution I, I actually found was pretty simple. I bought garbages to hold this garbage. So they're just garbage containers that I put the garbage in. So by getting these containers, I now just kind of contain that mess to one more area or to one area. So now when I want to clean my truck out to remove all the garbage, all I have to do is just pick it up and throw it into the dumpster and then come back. 
instead of having to kind of hand pick it all out and bag it and everything like that. But this is just kind of one example of environmental priming. Um, you can also use environmental priming actually kind of in an opposite fashion, and that's to um, you know reduce the use of a bad habit. So, um, for example, if you don't want to eat as many chips, you can remove the ki- the chips from a, your kitchen if you want to diet. Um, you could put them in your basement, so you have to go all the way downstairs to get them. You could throw them away, but you just make it harder for you to eat chips. But in their place, you'll just replace them with like fruit or a healthy snack. So now when your habit of eating chips and going into the cupboard for the chips is there, instead you're going to be exposed to healthy snacks or extra work to go get those unhealthy treats. But there are over, you know, there are thousands of ways you can apply um, environmental priming to reduce friction. Um, similarly, just sit down and think about the habit you want to do. And if you want to do this, just, just think about that. Think about all the different ways it could be hindered. And then slowly begin to work through that list and eliminate those different hindrances or frictions in your environment and set up things that allow you to succeed, little, you know, packing clothes or something like that, little things that allow you to succeed and eliminate excuses until you've increased the efficiency and the chance you're going to do that habit little by little every single day. The last thing for long-term habit success that I want to talk to you guys about is simply reduce your habit expectations. And as we begin to form habits, we don't really want to bite off more than we can handle. In Atomic Habits, James Clear talks about um, when you start a new habit, it really should take less than two minutes for you to do. And people kind of, you know, when I first read that, I was like, that's ridiculous. And And he basically has said that in a couple interviews. But what he means by this is that's going to just increase your compliance. It's going to get you to begin to show up for this habit and you can progress that trend over time and increase the difficulty of the habit over time as well. So the theory behind this concept is just, you know, driven by this concept of the good day and the good day concept refers to how likely we are to actually have our habits get successfully accomplished over the entirety of the day. The foundation being that if we begin our day or implement our new habits with easy steps or easy habits and then use those steps to build successes, we'll actually have more confidence over the course of the day or our lives, ultimately resulting in more correct habit decisions. Um, You've probably experienced something like this in your own life. Say you have an emergency in the morning, um, which means you don't eat your normal breakfast. You know, you make something healthy. Um, So instead, you grab a fast food breakfast after the call, but it makes you feel sluggish and dull um, for the rest of the day. That leads to less motivation through the day, less energy throughout the day. And by the afternoon, you know, you're completely void of all motivation um, to continue to do work for your clients or maybe for yourself. Now, this is a simple example of how a single habit being disrupted um, leads to several poor habit decisions impacting your entire day. So what I want you to do Um, when you begin to do this, when you begin to look at your habits, um, is simply begin your day by showing up, you know, start with something simple, um, brush your teeth, get a cup of coffee, you know, put on your workout clothes. And then over time, I want you to progress that, you know, to, instead of brushing your teeth, you're going to brush your teeth and floss every morning. Um, instead of getting a cup of coffee, you're going to make a healthy breakfast with your cup of coffee. Um, instead of just putting on your workout clothes, you're going to do a 30 minute workout. But the simple act of showing up initially 
will build your confidence, create this good day mentality, and then you can begin to form and shape those habits over time. The final thing I want to leave you guys with is, you know, what do you do if you find yourself off track with your habits? If you ever find yourself struggling with any particular habit or you're failing at it one day, don't worry about it. It's fine. It happens. This is human nature. And all I say is simply have one rule. Never miss a habit twice. If you adopt this rule, you're actually creating yourself, making yourself, remolding yourself into this person that shows up every single time, but also recognizes that you do have shortcomings. They're going to happen. They're going to be expected. If you find that this is happening regularly, then I'd encourage you again to go back and reflect on that habit. See where your failures are occurring and why they're occurring. Maybe you can identify some friction points that you can address and correct them as well. Ultimately, there's no denying that habits are the drivers of our personal and professional lives. And there's no reason that we can't be cognizant of our habits and control them. So begin taking back your control of your habits today. I'd like to thank all of you for listening today, OTOers. Um, Many of these stories, ideas, recommendations for this podcast were inspired by James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. You can pick it up at Amazon.com. And if you actually visit one of our recent blog posts, at the very bottom of the article, you'll find a link directly to the book. If you purchase this book through that link, I get a small portion of the sales um, that I use directly towards hosting the website, hosting these podcasts, um, and all the technology involved in that. So if you like this content and you're going to seek out that book, I'd encourage you to buy it through that link to help support operators to owners. So I can just keep bringing content um, to the readers, to the listeners of Operators Owners. I'd like to thank you guys for joining me today, and we'll catch you in two weeks. Carry on, OTRs. Don't forget to get your free copy of As a Man Thinketh at otovets.com forward slash thought. If you like this content, please sign up for our Facebook group at otovets.com forward slash Facebook dash group. I'd like to thank you personally for joining me today. And if you enjoyed this content, please like and share it on other social media sources and leave me a comment below so I know what you guys think and give me some ideas if you have an idea for an episode you'd like to see in the future. Thanks again, OTRs.